One of the saddest things and one of the most unfortunate occurrences that we hear about is when a pastor falls from grace. We've heard this story so many times and it's so disappointing. Time and time again, we'll either hear about a pastor that has lost faith entirely or that has been entangled in some sort of a moral struggle or perhaps they've done something illegal. And the story of a pastor stealing or the pastor running away with a secretary is something that we've heard far too many times. And it gives all Christians a bad reputation. It's such a stain on the kingdom of God. To be fair to 90-something percent of pastors, this doesn't happen to, but it still does happen, and it still happens too often. And it's got to make you ask, like, how does this happen? This person has given their life in service to God. How is it that they can be so seduced by the darkness inside of them? How can they allow this to happen? If they're sold out for God, how is it possible that they can slide this far? And I wish it ended there, but it it doesn't. The stats are, to me, staggering when you compare people connected with Jesus and people not connected in terms of moral-related issues in terms of infidelity, in terms of divorce. It's also surprising to me, it's even surprising to me, when you hear Christians doing shady business deals, or Christians gossiping, swearing, coarse language, just not being careful with their words, not being careful with their mouths. And why this is surprising to me is because we have the Holy Spirit of God, and following Jesus looks like something, amen? Following Jesus looks like something, and we should be showing the rest of the world what good marriages look like. We should be showing the rest of the world what it looks like to do business with integrity. We should be showing the world what it looks like to be loved with skin on. Even though we may face the same struggles as the rest of the world, we don't wage war the way the world does. We have divine power to demolish arguments and strongholds. I read that somewhere. But so many succumb to it. So today we're going to be looking at this. We're going to be looking at what is the process of temptation and sin. How, how does all of this happen? Father God, today we come with heavy hearts to a heavy topic. And God, we just, we pray. I want to speak right now. I want to speak against shame. And I want to just remind everyone in this room and God pray for just a divine sense of freedom, that freedom and victory are available in you. This is what you have for us is for our betterment. And so God, we, we just, we want to speak that into existence here this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Good morning, everyone. My name is Al Westerman. I'm the pastor here. So I know I say this pretty much every time, but I want to let you know that I am so pleased and so honored to be able to share with everyone what God has been doing in my life, what he's been showing me in the scriptures. It is, such, it is one of the great joys of my life. 
the passage that we're going to be looking at today, I came across well, several times throughout my life, but a couple years ago when I was looking at it, I realized that there is a progression that takes place. And so we're going to be looking at that progression today of from temptation into sin into death. We're going to be taking a look at that progression. And I think it's really important to understand that from a biblical perspective. We are in the midst of a series in James, which we are calling A Faith That Works. So if you'd like to turn to James, do that now. It's page 977 if you're using a pew Bible. And we're calling the series A Faith That Works. It's based off the famous passage in James 2. And it may be a slight context shift, but when you're looking at the book of James, it's quite easy to see that James really wants us to have a faith that works. He wants our faith to function properly. And so James begins his letter by unpacking some of the main struggles, trials, and troubles that we come across, and then he dissects and directs. He dissects the problem and directs us back to God. So let's start reading. James chapter 1, 13 to 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when full grown, gives birth to death. So in that we see the progression. But I want to start in verse 13. And in verse 13 it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And here I want to make a, a line in the sand, and I want to show there is a difference between being tested and being tempted. So we could say trials or, temp, uh, trials or tests would be on one side, and temptation would be on the other. And you may seem, it may seem like the two are very similar, a test and a temptation. But when you look at the Greek and when you study the words, you see that there actually is a fairly significant difference. We've been talking about trials. We've been talking about it through most of the series so far. And trials are external. They are outward things that are happening to you. Now, God can use these, and sometimes he even brings these to strengthen your faith and develop your character. Trials are something external to us. Doug's got a picture here, I think. I, I give it to Diane. Hopefully it's up there. But Peonies. We, we think about, is it up? It is up. Um, we, we think about peonies, and then we see all these ants on, on the flower. And this seems like it's a trial. This seems like it is opposition and a difficult time for, for the plant. They seem like pests, really. What's amazing is that Ants actually benefit, this trial actually benefits the flower. God designs all of this so well, eh? And there's actually something in the flower that the ants desire, but actually isn't good for the flower. And so when the ants go in, they remove it, and it actually purifies the plant. Some people have said that 
ants are required for the peonies to bloom. That's actually not true. A, a peonies will still bloom without the ant, but the ants benefit them in so many ways. They actually keep away other pests as well. And surprising as it may seem, the peonies develops better with opposition. God, in the same way, God uses trials to develop our character and strengthen our faith. Temptation, on the other hand, attempts to dislodge, dislocate, and derail our faith. It's an inner desire to sin. And where trials are external, temptation is internal. The aim of temptation is to cripple our character, not develop it. It's inner turmoil seeking to unhinge our faith. So James wants to be crystal clear on the subject. God wants to strengthen our faith and our character. He does not want to induce sin or diminish faith. Again, God does not want to unhinge our faith. So where does temptation come from? The term James uses here is that people are dragged away. The phraseology here suggests that it's a fishing term. So if we are to picture this, we are the fish. And the hook, the bait that is dangling in front of us, that's what Satan is tempting us with. We then have a role, we then play a part in this, and we either choose to ignore it or discard of it, or sometimes we choose to partner with it. And when that happens, we are dragged away and we are pulled away to where we don't want to go. Understand this, and I know that you already do. The devil's aim is not for our benefit. His aim is to kill, steal, and destroy. John 10, 9. James uses the term here, fleshly desire. Evil desire or fleshly desire can be translated either way. And when he's saying this, he's talking about our own sinful nature, our nature pre-Christ. The term fleshly desire also suggests uh, sexual nature because James understands that this is an area of temptation back in his day and even more so in our time. So he knows that this is an area where attention is required. James has an omission here, which I find very interesting. He doesn't even mention the devil. And the reason why he does this is not to say the devil isn't the one baiting you. He is. He's actually called the tempter. Rather, James is emphasizing, he's emphasizing our role in the process. If we are the ones that take the bait, then the process begins. And we see this in, starting in verse 14, that each person is dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, leads to death. So this is a five-step progression that has been called the fool's biography. It begins with desire. Desire is what the devil tempts us with. And I suppose the safest and easiest way to illustrate this, for my sake, is in terms of food. We can look at health food and junk food, but it applies to so many different areas of sin. 
Sin is a lot like junk food. It is focusing only on the short-term benefit. And what is the short-term benefit of junk food? There's an arousal. It's very likely that you're going to feel good in the moment. But shortly thereafter, what was desirable in the mouth turns bitter in the stomach. And if you've ever overindulged in junk food, you know that it does not leave you feeling better than when you sat down. The bait, or the twisted desire, can be appealing because it's something that in the short term we receive a feeling or an arousal around. And the devil wants us to put our focus on the immediate, not on the long term. And so he'll get you to ask yourself questions. Don't I want pleasure now? Don't I want to enjoy myself now? Maybe you're feeling a little low, a little down, and you just want a quick pick-me-up. And so in the same way that you can turn to junk food, you can turn to partnering with uh, sinful desire. And maybe this looks like looking at something on your internet browser. Maybe it looks like buying something that you can't afford. There are many different ways that temptation comes our way. But it starts with a twisted desire. No, no long-term benefits ever come from this. There are hundreds of long-term downsides, in fact. The second part of this is conception, when desire has conceived. This is when we partner with this twisted desire, that is when conception takes place. This is the pivotal moment. Desire or temptation might be normal. It's certainly universal, meaning that it's something that we all encounter. But conception is our active response. This is coming into agreement with that desire. James uses the word conception, and I think it's actually a profound way to illustrate it. In the natural and intended order of things, for conception to take place, what's required is willingness, agreement, and collaboration. I know that there are exceptions to this, but when things are running the way it should be, there is agreement that has to take place. And in the same way that prospective parents play a willing role, we can be active partners in that desire. There is an evil desire calling out to us that intends to drag us away from what is best for us. And what's important for us to understand is that this is the pivotal stage. This is where we hold the power. Because without conception, there is no sin. If temptation comes your way, but you remain steadfast, then you haven't sinned. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. It's only when you become an active participant with that temptation where, sins be, where sin begins. Now you understand this in the natural in order for sin to reproduce, it requires permission. It requires our agreement. Our active permission is what allows sin to reproduce. But said the other way, 
without our active permission, sin cannot reproduce in our lives. This is a very important fact. Without our active agreement, sin has no potency, it has no power, and it has no offspring. Back to the text. Birth is what comes next. This is where sin becomes obvious. It actually becomes impossible to hide a birth. (laughs) In the natural, when people understand that when a husband and wife have a baby, they've come into a certain agreement. This is when you can't hide it because the natural consequence of conception is birth. And this is where a chain link is formed because things become impossible to hide. James continues to say that there is a maturing process. Now, I've been not great with references thus far, so I'm going to try this one out. How many of us have seen Larry Boy and the Fib from Outer Space? That's almost half. I'm going to take that as a win for me. It's the famous, it's the famous uh, VeggieTales movie where a fib or a lie comes from outer space, and it is strengthened and grows every time Junior Asparagus lies. So as the movie goes on, he continues to try to get Junior Asparagus to lie. He tries to encourage him to do that. And when he does that, he gets stronger. And this is in the same way we feed the deception. This is the way that sin continues to grow. Lastly, it leads to death. And we are not talking about a physical death. We are talking about a spiritual death. We are talking about an emotional death, a relational death. And when sin has progressed to that amount, that's what we have. We have death all around us. This is the lie that the devil sells us. And I'd like to illustrate it like this. The devil is called the father of lies, and he's not called the father of lies because they thought it was a cool nickname in college. He's called the father of lies because he's really good at it. He, he earned it. So the devil doesn't come at you with one of these. He, he doesn't come at you with a long chain. He doesn't come at you and show you what sin looks like when it has been fully grown, when it has reached the point of looking like death. He doesn't show you the chain. He doesn't tell you all the things that are going to happen if you begin to partner with that sinful desire. He doesn't tell you about the relationships that are going to get strained, the finances that are going to deplete. He doesn't tell you about the addiction. He doesn't tell you about the hopelessness or the grief. Instead, what he does is he gives you one of these. He gives you a single link. This is a choice. This is a choice that looks like an opportunity. And he wants you to focus on the temporal and the immediate. Because this looks like it's something that can be enjoyed, but in fact, it's just superficial attractiveness. 
It's the immediate thrill or, or sensual desire. Do you know why the devil is so good at lying? Because he actually gets us to do the work. And what he will get us to do is he will get us to open ourselves up to that evil, demonic desire that is trying to overtake us. And then we bind ourselves to it. And then we close ourselves off to God. We close ourselves off to community so that the people that could remove the chain were too afraid to allow access. And why are we too afraid to allow access? It's because of shame. Shame has the potential to separate us from the people around us and actually drive us deeper into the thing that we're ashamed of. Shame can be very powerful in that way. Then as time goes, he gives us another opportunity that's masquerading, sorry, another choice that's masquerading as an opportunity. And again, we open ourselves up to what the devil has for us. We link ourselves to that. And then we close ourselves off to community. We close ourselves off to God. Setting new precedents for the sin in our lives. Time continues. We get another one. We link ourselves to it again. And soon enough, we're experiencing this whole chain. We're experiencing bondage. We feel like we're wrapped in chains. You're experiencing separation from your loved ones. You're experiencing a very dark and dangerous season, a very dark and dangerous road. To bring this back to celebrity pastors. I've had a few conversations with friends of mine, pastor friends of mine, just trying to figure out what do we think is going on? How, how is it that this can happen? And where we've landed is that a temptation comes their way. And they reason to themselves, well, I can't be tempted with this. I can't struggle with this because I'm a pastor. I'm a man of God. I'm sold out to God. I I'm, I'm, should be above these things. And then shame enters. And then so what shame does, as we've already said, is it separates us from the people that want to help us and drives us deeper into the thing that we're ashamed of. And so they feel like they can't share their struggle, not even their sin, not even their sin. They haven't sinned, but they can't share their struggle with anyone. Now they've lost accountability and they feel like they have to go at it on their own. Opportunity comes and they don't have the accountability, they don't have the community around them to face it well. And things begin to, one link at a time, increase in that way. And this is connected to something that I've been thinking about for a long time and it's a, <laughs> I 
I don't want you to feel like you can only come to us, uh, pastor, therapist, spiritual director, community, when you're in full bondage. Come to, come to us when you have a single link, when you have just something small that you're struggling with. And, and I'll, I'll be clear, definitely come to us if you're wrapped in chains. We want to help you. We want to see Jesus work in your life more. That's not my point. My point is don't wait. Don't wait for the addiction to become severe. Don't wait for your children to lose respect in you. Don't wait for your finances to be gone because of gambling. Don't wait till your wife has packed her bags. Don't wait. Come to us and let's deal with this when it's very early on in the process. Let's bring God into the solution. Let's bring our friends in and not wait. So the devil, as we've mentioned, the devil is the father of lies and his aim is to kill, steal, and destroy. However, John 10 doesn't end there. It goes on to share what God's goal is. God's aim is that we may have life and have it to the full. Amen? So we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at some weapons, tools, if you prefer that term, that will aid us in defeating and deflating the enemy's purposes for our lives. And the first one that I want to look at is, what do you really want? So if sin begins with us participating in a twisted desire, then that shows that we actually have some desire for it. Let's keep the food illustration going. And we'll call this cake. Now, cake here is representing the short-term arousal that will lead us to destruction. And if we're honest with ourselves, we like cake. The good news is, we also like steak. Steak is delicious, it's nutritious, and it feeds you and fuels you in such a beautiful way. It's also worth saying again that it is one of the tastiest foods on the planet. Now, a health coach that I follow on Instagram was one time asked, how much steak should a person eat? And he responded rather comically, I thought. He said, eat enough steak so that you don't feel like eating cupcakes. What this is about is it's saying no to, to cake by saying yes to steak. It's easier to say no to cake when you have a yes, when you have a prominent yes in your life. Saying yes to steak helps you say no to cake. And you may have noticed that I've used the term twisted desire a few times. It's because I've studied health enough to know that our body actually craves healthy food. And when we consume healthy foods or water, there's an internal shutoff warning. You've experienced this, and you instinctively know when you have had enough water or you've had enough steak. This does not exist with junk food. You can eat a whole bag of chips. You can eat a whole box of cookies if you're motivated enough. There are 
evil, in my opinion they're evil, evil food scientists out there trying to find the bliss point of food. They've actually found it pretty well. And they're trying to create foods that have just the right combination of carbs and fat, and they're just the right texture, crispy but a little soft. And what they are able to do is they're actually able to override your internal shutoff. And where you're normally able to stop when it's a certain amount of water or healthy food, you're not able to and you eat to the point where you feel like garbage. It works the same way with sin. Even the sin of distraction. Young people have coined the term scroll hole. And this is where you sit on your phone and you scroll through Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or Pinterest or whatever it might be, and you're like in this hole. Now, there's no benefit really to what you're doing, but it's addicting. And then depending on the person, after five or ten minutes of scrolling, maybe, maybe 30 depending on the person, you start to feel like garbage. But what's surprising is, even though you recognize that, you can't just get out of it right away. You think, okay, five more. Okay, just five more. Okay, well, the next one that makes me laugh, then I'll stop. And then one makes you laugh, and then you keep going because it's addicting. And you're chasing that feeling. Now, how often do we sit down with our Bible and we think, okay, no, no just one more chapter of John. Just, just one more psalm. Just one more the choice becomes this. Do I go with what I a little bit want in the moment, or do I go with the good thing that is going to fuel me and fill me for the long haul? Psalm 37.4, a favorite of mine, says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will, he will illuminate di- desires within you that he has put there. And our desires conform to his. And he helps us make steak such a resounding yes in our lives that we don't entertain cake. Now, I'm able to say no to the things that I may have some desire for because I have such an overwhelming yes in my life. So the question is for all of us, what do you really want? Maybe a good application prayer would be, God, what does steak look like for me? Understanding this is metaphoric language. God, help me to desire steak over cake. The second point is being aware of the devil's schemes. If you remember, I've been talking about how the devil will only get us to look at what is the short-term benefit. So then the opposite would be play it out. If we look at Luke 14, 28 to 30, it says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began building but wasn't able to finish. Think it through. If we keep the example of cake going, I know that if I do eat cake, it's going to hurt my stomach. It's going to mess with my blood sugar levels and therefore my mood. It's going to mess with my sleep. And it's going to make my teeth worse. 
I'm able to think it through. I'm able to see it through. In, in the same way, when the devil offers you a sensual pl- pleasure, you'll be able to understand. You'll be able to play it through and see how it's going to go. And this is true with drugs, alcohol, shopping addiction, what, Whatever it is, whenever the devil is offering you, you'll be able to understand the extraordinary consequences that can come with it. Also, in severe cases, you can understand the benefits that you'll be missing out on. The amazing family time that you'll be missing out on. The financial freedom that you squandered. The intimacy with your spouse that you've enjoyed. It's not worth throwing away. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And so what Paul is saying here when he writes this is that we actually can be aware of the devil's schemes. It's actually important to be aware of his schemes. Now, maybe there's something that you're being tempted with occasionally and it's easy enough to fight it. But it's important that if you're being tempted with something perpetually and continually, it's important to understand that the devil has a scheme. He has a lie that he's trying to sell you. It's equally as important to understand that you can uncover what that lie is. This takes prayer This takes scripture reading. This takes inviting your friends in on the situation. But you can become aware of the lie. And when you do, the lie loses its power. Last pop culture reference I'll make. And again, I'm curious to see if I'm getting better at this. How many of you have seen A Beautiful Mind, Russell Crowe? We're roughly half again. I'm, I'm taking, like, I, I need support, so if you're online watching this, just email me and tell me that you've seen it, because I... <laughs> so, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it. He's, <laughs> I was going to watch it tonight. Um, he's, he's a mathematical genius. But he keeps having these people come and giving him missions that are born out of obscurity. And this drives him to the point of insanity, and he's living in isolation. He's pretty much lost everything. But then he uncovers the lie. And the lie was that there's a little girl who's giving him messages as well, and she never gets any older. And when he realizes that, he realizes that the whole thing has been a deception, and it loses its power. There's this really neat scene at the end of the movie where someone's asking him about the people that have been plaguing him, plaguing his mind and all this. And he says, yeah, they're still there. And then it shows the three of them standing there looking dejected and powerless. Because when we understand what the lie is, the lie loses its power. Now, on our own, both of these first two points, steak over cake and knowing the devil's schemes, they're impossible. That's why the third and final point is that victory is found in Christ. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, 56 to 57. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? For the sting of death and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
focusing our intention on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, he endured it for the joy. When we set our eyes on him, we are able to understand that victory against temptation, victory over sin, victory in relationships, victory is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of his victory, we become conquerors, more than conquerors, in fact. There is power, the power of the cross is in our lives is such that we gain access to strength, peace, joy, discipline, love, a sound mind, and so many other things. And all of this comes through the cross of Christ. There is a truth in the song that says there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Or the older song that says there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. The cross changed everything, and it has the power to change us, too. So much of what we talked about today has to do with agreement. It has to do with our active agreement in what the devil has for us. The devil is trying to deceive us. He's trying to trick us. But in the same way, In the same way that he got us to open ourselves up to him and close ourselves off to community, if we can open ourselves back up to God and community and not let shame win, we have, it's a battle against shame in this as well. When we can do this, we can begin to dismantle the chain link by link Or maybe all at once. Again, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Ask him, create in me a pure heart, O God. Make him your delight. Make your desire be for him. And finally, break agreement. That's really what this part looks like. It is breaking the agreement with what the devil has for you. It is deciding to not actively respond to what the devil has hanging before us. If we break agreement, sin cannot conceive. Temptation cannot conceive and become sin. It's not able to reproduce in our lives. This looks like holding fast to what God has for us. It looks like clinging to God. It looks like understanding that what God has for us is infinitely better than what the enemy has for us. His aim is to kill, steal, and destroy. But God's aim is that we may have life and have it to the full. So, Father God, we come to you. God, I thank you for hope. I thank you that hope is found in you. That victory is found in you. And God, right now, in our own hearts, and our own minds, we choose to break agreement. We break agreement with what the devil has for us. And God, we choose to cling to you. Choose to cling to what you have for us. Again, God, I speak against shame, and I pray that if there's anyone in this room that's holding a single link or that is wrapped in chains, God, that they would break the power of shame and they would come to you and they would come to their community and they would come to their pastor and their spiritual advisor 
and experience the freedom that you have for us. We praise you, Jesus. We love you. In your name, amen.